Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. The word invasion can uh, stir up some pretty strong uh, emotions and uh, feelings inside of people, depending on what kind of invasion uh, that you're talking about. Um, the, the word itself, when you look in Webster's Dictionary, is defined like this. It's an attempt to conquer, a hostile entry by an armed force into a country's territory with the intention of conquering it. And of course, that's the idea that we get in our minds the most. It, it also means arrival in large numbers or a large event. And I think what we're talking about this month was a fairly large event, uh, Christ coming into this world But the definition for the word invasion, I think I like best in terms of what we're talking about this month, is that it means interfering with something by entry into it and aggressively spreading through it, permeating it. And when we think about Christ coming into this world, Christ coming into our hearts, into our lives, that should be our desire for Him to aggressively spread in our lives and to so permeate our lives that we're totally invaded with His presence and who He is and what He's done for us. The idea of invasion probably brings to mind the uh, airplanes overhead dropping paratroopers trying to uh, attack a country. If you're in the scientific mentality, the science fiction mentality rather, you probably get an idea when you think about invasion of a large spaceship overhead with uh, aliens invading our planet. But what I want you to think about as we use the word invasion for this month is that God invaded earth through Jesus Christ. And today we're basically going to look at how there was a desire for Him to do so. Because in the Old Testament, there are all kinds of prophecies and promises that God would come into this world, that He would send the Messiah. And based upon those prophecies and those desires, God's people long for Him to come into the world and change it because of all the injustice and all the pain, all the suffering, everything that existed in the world. They viewed God coming into this world as, as eradicating all those, all those negative things in life. And that's pretty much what Isaiah had in mind is Isaiah expressed this sentiment in Isaiah 64 verse 1 and 2. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, and that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, And fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. Now, I'm not going to take time and read the rest of the chapter, but if you peruse through the rest of Isaiah chapter 64, you get the idea that that Isaiah is desiring God to come down and make things right. He's desiring for God to come down. And, and do the kind of awesome things that he'd already done in the past. He asked for all these things through the chapter. He, he, he's longing for God to come down and be heard and seen as the only true God. 
He's asking for God to come down in spite of the fact that the people were sinners because God was their father. Isaiah gives the idea here in chapter 64 of God coming down like a potter and coming to His people who are the clay and Him molding His people. He cries out for God not to remember their sins forever, but rather to come down and, and transform the holy cities that had pretty much been trampled by enemies and had become a wilderness and to raise up the ruins of the temple. And then at the very end of the chapter, Isaiah closes chapter 64 with a question that's a really passionate question, I think. He says this, Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? In other words, will you... Will you ignore everything that's happening in the world and just keep letting those things happen? Will you restrain yourself of these things, O oh Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? In other words, I think the question Isaiah is posing is this. How long will you wait to come down and change all this? And I think we may have the similar question in our hearts a lot of times because as you look at the world around us and how things really seem to get worse all the time and all the junk and things that we have to deal with, I think we too, along with Isaiah, can have this desire and say, God, come down here and fix it. I'm tired of this junk in my life. I'm tired of all these things in my life that just so afflict me. So as we think about this, Word invasion, and we're taking our first step in this series today. Pretty much what I want to do is give you the background, I think, to this need, the background of why Isaiah and God's people were saying, God, we're in the heavens and come down. Now, do so, we're going to look at a couple of things. First of all, we're going to look at the promise of Christ's coming, the promise of His coming. Because as I said a moment ago, all, all through the Old Testament, all through the Scriptures, there are promises that a Messiah would come into this world and that He'd fix things when He comes. The, the word that's used for Messiah literally means anointed one or the one that's smeared with oil. And, and He's anointed to do this. He's, he's anointed to be King of the Jews. He's, he's anointed to come in and uh, God empower Him to deliver His people and to establish His kingdom. The Jews, however, had a, a different view in their mind of what Messiah would be. They, they thought the Messiah, when he came into this world, would be like a, a political leader who would come in and chase the enemy off and, and set them free and, and kind of you know, bring in this period of peace and prosperity in their lives. So they were looking for a political leader, not a suffering Savior. I think a lot of people today delude themselves into thinking, well, if you could just get the right party in, I have a hard time anymore figuring out which the right party is. I don't know. You know, if you just get the right politician, the right political leader in, that, that things could be fixed. And to be honest with you, the only thing that's going to fix this world is a returning king one day. There are all kinds of prophecies about Jesus. He, he came not as a political leader, but He came as the ultimate, once and for all, final sacrifice for sin, so that through Him, through faith in Him, we can have everlasting life. That's why He came. But to help us understand this Old Testament desire for God rend the heavens and come down. God, God sent the Messiah. God changed things that are in this world. We're going to look at some prophecies. In, 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 the old, in the Bible, rather, total in the Bible, there are over 300 prophecies in the Bible that talk about Jesus Christ. So let's, this morning, let's look at all 300 prophecies. Are you in for that? Okay. 
We're not going to do that, but I'm going to give you a sampling of it. And here's why. I think it increases our faith. I mean, if you're here and you already know Christ as your Savior, you already have faith in Him, it still will increase your faith to understand how much was said about Him in the Old Testament and how He fulfills that. And if maybe you're sitting on the sideline a little bit and you've been checking things out, you're wondering if, if this stuff about Jesus is real or is it just some uh, fairy tale or myth like Santa Claus, uh, then you, let me assure you today that there's all kinds of truth in the Bible that tells us before He ever came into the world, this is who He would be and this is what He would do. So let me, let me increase your faith a little bit. Let's walk through some Old Testament prophecies. First one is a prophecy of Christ coming and, and dealing with Satan and defeating Satan. God said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman as He taught, gave the curse out to the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Satan thought he had bruised the heel of Christ as he nailed him to a cross and put him in a tomb. But Jesus took his life back up and stomped the head of the serpent. Look at other prophecies. And I won't read all the scriptures. I just want you to kind of see some pictures of it. There's, there's prophecy telling us what tribe the Messiah would come from in Israel. The, the tribe of Judah. And that's who Jesus came through. There's also a prophecy in, in the Bible of where he would be born. And we know he was born in Bethlehem. And the Bible said in advance he would be born in Bethlehem. But notice what it also said, whose origin is of old, from the Ancient of Days. Because that's who he was. The Ancient of Days come into this world in flesh. The Bible also gives us prophecy concerning his virgin birth. Because Isaiah tells us before it ever took place that a sign would take place. And the sign would be a virgin we conceive and bear a child shall call his name Emmanuel. And then we get into the New Testament and we find out that's fulfilled. And it says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Talking about Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. God became flesh and come into this world. Prophesied, promised before it ever happened, hundreds of years before. We're also told in the Old Testament as we look at prophecy about Jesus of the Messiah's date of birth and also His date of death. That might be a new one for you. You might not have noticed that before in Scripture. But in Daniel, as it talks about the weeks in Daniel, Daniel gives a time frame. He's prophetically speaking. I mean, you know, we didn't know. He couldn't put a date on it. Still can't put a date on when He'll come back. But prophetically speaking, He lets us know that when His birth would be and, and when His death would be, when He'd be cut off before it ever happened. The Bible also tells us some things about the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. In Malachi, he says, I'm going to send my messenger before him to prepare the way. And we're told in the Bible that's who it was. It's John the Baptist that came. We're also told in Malachi that it would be Elijah the prophet. So that's who he was. He was there doing the ministry of Elijah the prophet. And Elijah the prophet there is John the Baptist carrying out this ministry of preparing the hearts to receive the Savior. We're also told in the Bible prophecy about the Messiah's ministry. So I'm going to take time and read this because there's a lot of important stuff here in Isaiah 53. But the Bible says... Who has believed what they have heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, which Jesus was. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. When He was there on the cross, that was because of our sin. He he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. That mock of a trial that they had for him. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked. He died between two thieves. And a rich man in his death put in a rich man's tomb. Although he had done no violence, he was completely innocent and sinless. And there was no deceit, not even a lie in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. In other words, even though he was cut off and killed, and he had not had any literal physical children, guess who his offspring are? If you know him as Savior, you are. We're part of his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Talking about believers. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. There on the cross he willingly gave his life up. And was numbered with the transgressors. Once again, those thieves, but not just those thieves, us, because of our transgressions and our sin. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The Bible says in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison of those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And later on in the New Testament, when John the Baptist had been arrested and he's there having his moment of doubt in prison, and he sends word to Jesus trying to find out, are you the one that we're looking for or not? And Jesus quotes this passage of Scripture, saying, this is why I've come into the world. And you're seeing me do these types of things. We've got prophecy in the Old Testament about His crucifixion. My God, my God, why have they forsaken me? Do you remember that being said at the cross? And it's prophesied it would happen hundreds of years before it ever took place. And in Psalm 22, he said, But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him. For He delights in Him. All this stuff was said at the cross. Be not far from me, 
For trouble is near, there is none to help me. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me like a raven and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Speaking of what happens in the crucifixion, his heart was like wax because it burst inside of him. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a posture. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs can pass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Hundreds of years before the Roman Empire ever thought about crucifixion as a means of execution, the Bible said that's how he would die. And that's exactly how he died when he went to the cross. I can count all of my bones because they had so beat him. You can see the bones showing through his skin. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. All of that fulfilled. All of it took place later in the New Testament. We've got prophecy about the Messiah's resurrection because we're told in the Psalms, you will not allow my soul to see Sheol or the Holy One to see corruption. Speaking of, of Christ. Later on, that was spoken of also in the New Testament. Next slide, please. In Acts, where David says concerning him, and he quotes what we just looked at a moment ago, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption because he did not leave him in the grave. He took his life back up. Prophecy also concerning the Messiah's ascension and exaltation. Because it said in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And, and that's used in a way of not beget, begotten him as far as him being born, but bringing him up from the grave. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. For David did not descend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand and make your enemies your footstool. On the other side of the crucifixion, speaking of His ascension. The Bible talks about His first advent and His second advent. In the first advent, it talks about Him coming humble, mounted on a donkey, a colt in a foal of a donkey, as He did as He entered Jerusalem. And then later on in Zechariah, it talks about His second coming when He actually comes, not talking about the rapture, but when He actually comes and His foot touches on the Mount of Olives and the valley is split before Him as He comes. All of that prophesied. All of that promised. You understand why I'm doing this? It's not just boring facts. All of this is stuff that you can understand. Hey, that means this is real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. Because all of it took place after it had been told in advance, hundreds of years in advance that it would take place. We can also find this as we look at prophecy and think about prophecy. Next next slide. Oh, I'm sorry. Back up. Got you backing up one too many. Next one, one, advance one. Advance one. There you go. Thank you. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But look what it says here. In these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. Then look what it says in Revelation. Revelation 19 and verse 10, if I can see it through the decoration says this, For the testimony 
of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You want to know what that means? That means all prophecy, all of it is ultimately about Jesus. That's what it means. All of it. God gave us these promises in advance that He would come so we could know that it was true, that it was real. And when He did come into this world, we have our our faith increased because it had been prophesied to begin with. So as we launch out in this Christmas series, as we think about God invading earth, you need to understand that God said in advance all these things to the degree that Isaiah and God's people were saying, God, come. God, rend the heavens and come down. Now, all that was to lay the background for what we're going to cover right now in, in Isaiah, the verses that we read just a moment ago. And I'm just going to, I want you to notice three words, three thoughts that we're going to look at. We're going to look at this prayer fulfilled through Christ's coming. There are a bunch of promises about His coming. So many promises that God's people were praying, that Isaiah is praying, God, rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. It's when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. I want you to notice three things. First of all, think about a wish, a wish. Christmas is, is a time we think about wishes. You know, they're, they're children that have... Christmas wishes on their mind. If you did not buy them what they wanted last Christmas, they start wishing for it the next Christmas and start throwing hints at you for 12 months. And when you were growing up, you know, I mean, you, you had these wishes, you had these images in your mind, these, these desires, these, these wishes at Christmas time. And even if you're not wishing for a gift, we tend to, at, at Christmas time, we, we have these wishes maybe for goodwill for all men. Here's what Isaiah's wish was. Isaiah's wish is simply this. God rend the heavens and come down. God come into this world and and change things. Come into this world and do away with all this injustice. When when he says rend the heavens and come down, the the word O literally in the the Hebrew implies a a wish. It's interjected as a wish. He's saying would that. It's like he's he's really longing for it. God, I I want you to rend the heavens. That literally means to to cut through or cut out or rend or tear. Here's an interesting thing that the same word means. It means to paint the eyes as if enlarging them. Now, some of you ladies know what that's about, don't you? You'll paint your eyes and everything, try to make your eyes pop and look bigger. I hope none of you guys know much about that. But here's the way God made himself appear bigger. You know, people, ladies may paint the eyes to enhance their eyes, make their eyes pop and bigger. Here's the way God made himself look bigger to this world. He came in the flesh. God did exactly what Isaiah's wishing for. God rended the heavens. God came down into this world. He tore heaven and came into this earth as Jesus Christ. And by doing so, that that enlarges our perception. It enlarges our view of who God is. Because literally through the ministry of Jesus, now suddenly we could physically see the compassion of Jesus, the compassion of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, because it's in flesh walking this earth. Through the ministry of Jesus, God enlarges Himself. 
to where we can see the power of God through the miracles of Christ. We can clearly see the purpose of God through sending His Son to die on the cross, that through faith in Him we can have everlasting life. That was His wish. God come down, and that's what God did through His Son. And that's why we can have this clearer view of who God is, an enhanced view, an enlarged view of who God is through Christ. Back in Isaiah 63 and verse 15, Isaiah had already in the previous chapter prayed this, Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. And then we get into the next chapter, and he doesn't say look down, he says come down. (laughs) And I kind of get the sense that maybe after Isaiah prayed, God, will you please look down at all the trouble we're in and do something about it, Isaiah maybe realizes, God, instead of you looking down, that really is not quite enough. God, what we need you to do is really come down into this world. Now, that's not to minimize the power of God. God can fix things from heaven if He wants to because He's God. Amen? But at the same time, we literally understand more about God and see how God would act. If you want to see what God acts like, look at Jesus. He came into this world. And just looking down wasn't enough. He said, I I want you to come down. I want you to descend. I want you to come here. I want you to cross the boundary. I, I want you to come here and abundantly bring or carry something down into this world. In chapter 63, verse 17 and 19, it also says this, Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage, Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Do do you get a sense of the heart cry of Isaiah? Isaiah is looking at the world around him and he's saying, God, it's in a mess. It's like we've not even been called by your name and the enemy's trampled down your, your sanctuary. God, we need you to do more than just look down. God, we need you to rent the heavens and come down and change this world. Change all the injustice. Change all the trouble that we're in. Do you ever have that desire in your own heart? Do you ever get fed up with everything that you're having to deal with and the frustration that you're going through in, in your life and you just think, God, if you, would you just come down and change it and do something about it? That, that was a wish of, of Isaiah because the enemy was running rampant. Like he said, he referred to the temple being, being torn down and, and all the oppression that was happening in that day and time. He's saying, God, come down and, and do something, change something about the condition of this world. Isaiah saw the solution to all the injustices of this world being met by God so coming down into this world. And you know what? He was right. Because the solution to every ill that exists in this world and in your life and my life is Jesus Christ. He's the solution to it all. That's what Isaiah was saying. God, if you can just come down, your very presence will do something about it. And that's what he did. He came down into this world through Jesus. Isaiah was given this wishful prayer that God would manifest himself. Isaiah craved a man who would deliver men from the oppressions of the world's tyranny. He craved a man that would come into this world and change the storms of life that people were facing. He he was looking for someone to come and do away with the weariness and the vanity of religious labor that doesn't benefit anything. He, He longed for the true man, speaking of Christ, who should appear and completely, thoroughly manifest 
the presence of God in this world where people could see God as He is. He was longing for the thick veil to be removed that was between God and His people, and that veil was torn when Jesus died on the cross. He, he was longing for God to make Himself known in this world to come as Emmanuel, which means what again? God with us. He, he was longing for God to show up in that way, and that is exactly what God did through Jesus Christ. More or less, his heart cry was this. He's crying out, Isaiah's crying up and say, God, break up the scheme of all this world that's made such a mess and fix it. And that's what God does by sending his son into this world. He came into this world to invade the hearts of men, to change lives, and to change this world. Primary reason Jesus came was to provide salvation. That's why He came in the flesh. He came to be the perfect once and for all sacrifice to die on the cross for our sins. But, 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 even though that's the primary reason He came, don't miss this. He also came into this world because of all the injustice that's here. He came to be showing up on behalf of the poor. He, he came in this world for the brokenhearted. He, he came into this world for the damaged people in this world. And that's why Isaiah was longing for him to come, because he thought, God, if you'd just come, it'd fix everything. And today as believers, you know what? We need to have the same longing in our hearts. We need to long for the presence of God, whether it be in our heart or one day when He returns and He sets His foot on this earth and everything is completely made right. But you and I ought to have a desire, a wish for God to come. Not only a wish, I want you to think about a wonder for a minute. We, we have these... Christmas wishes, but, but to a certain degree, Christmas always has this sense of wonder kind of attached to it. I mean, as a, as a child, when people had lied to you, <laughs> and, and you, were, you were sleeping on Christmas Eve at night, and you'd have this kind of sense of wonder because of you know, the way Christmas had been presented, and maybe you're laying awake waiting to hear reindeer on the rooftop and stuff like that, you know. But there's this kind of magic or wonder that was, that was attached to, to Christmas. Isaiah here, as he talks about how he wants God to manifest Himself, I think talks about some very wondrous things. He said, Rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, and fire causes water to boil. He's talking about the mountains quaking. The, the word literally means a whole range of mountains. Like they're just being shaken, like they're just shaking in the wind. They're, they're quaking, they're being loose from their foundations. The root word means to shake out or scatter profusely. He, he said, let the mountains shake at your presence. And the word presence literally means face. God, come into this world so at your very presence, at your face, you show up in such a majestic way that it's like an earthquake happens. He said, kindle the brushwood like a fire hidden dry, crackling wood that in turn can heat cool water and cause it to gush over and swell and boil. 
What Isaiah is longing for, he's longing for a wondrous, irresistible, divine manifestation of God. He's asking God to descend and come into this world in such a way that no one can overlook it and no one can miss it. I mean, when an earthquake happens, if you're there when the ground's shaking, you know it, don't you? He's saying, God, come in such a way that people cannot miss it. God, come like lightning from heaven that strikes dry wood and, and causes it to burn up and be consumed. God, come into the world with a kind of force and energy that turns cold water into, into boiling energy and that just causes it to overflow. God, come in such a way that you heat the hearts of one life to where they boil up in the overflow and that heats the heart of another life and, in, and, and, and impacts the heart of another life in another life in another life. He's begging for God to come in such an indescribable way that people can't miss it. He longs for God to work in human lives in such a way. And that's what He accomplished through Jesus. When Jesus came into this world and He was nailed on a cross and He was put in a tomb, when that tomb opened, what happened? The earth shook. When Jesus comes back and He puts His foot on the Mount of Olives that have already alluded to, what's going to happen? There's going to be such an earthquake that it splits the whole valley with His glory before Him. It was a longing for God to manifest Himself in such a way that the world would take notice and the injustices of this world would end. A couple of weeks ago, we uh, played you a video by Uncle Si of uh, Duck Dynasty theme showing you how to pack or maybe not how to pack to start with uh, an Operation Christmas Child box. And about a week or so after that on Facebook, I saw a link where someone... Uh, had placed up that went to a website that had a testimony of a, a, a Phil Robinson. I don't know if you guys like Duck Dynasty or not. Uh, other people were talking about it and everything like that. I didn't even know what it was to a few months ago, really, except, you know, see, see bearded guys on T-shirts and Walmart and, uh, and, and things like that. So I started flipping over to it and, and watching it. Um, a, a friend of Bethany's, that he's an assistant manager in Walmart, Bethany, my daughter, he had posted up on his Facebook recently in 14 years of retail. He had never seen anything so invade, you know, all uh, all areas of, of marketing. I mean, they've got everything, you know, you can think of. And uh, one of the employees that worked with him posted back to him because he was off that day. Well, we got in Duck Dynasty sugar cookies today. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much invaded everything. You want to know why I think it has? Because it's one of the few programs on TV where they honor God and talk about God and bow their heads and they pray. But as I was listening to this testimony by, by, by Philip Robinson, he was a, he was a football player, a quarterback in high school. Could have been a professional football player, they said. But uh, anyway, he got hanging out kind of the wrong crowd. And after he got out of college, he had uh, opened a bar up and just going the wrong direction in his life. And uh, that was back in the 60s. And the, in, in, the, in the testament, he said, and y'all remember the 60s, don't you? And then, you know, 60s were... And he said, this preacher come, I wanted to introduce me to Jesus. Brought his Bible by and he said, I chased him off. He said a few weeks after that, I chased off my wife and my kids. He said, I got in such a mess, I was sitting there thinking, is, is there any way out of this? 
And he called and talked to his wife. And she said, remember that preacher that came by that you chased off? Why don't you give him a call? So he did. He gave him a call and went and talked to him. And, and, and the pastor looked at him and said, Phil, do you, do you know what the gospel is? And he said, well, I, gospel singing, gospel music. And, and the preacher looked at him and said, you don't, you don't know. You don't have a clue, do you? I, he said, I don't guess so. And then he went on to tell him about God becoming man. And God going to cross in his place to pay for his sins. And here's this guy that was a college quarterback saying, how did I miss that? Isaiah's desire is for God to manifest in such a way that the nations tremble, that, that it can't be missed. And one day that will happen. It will happen one day. But don't wait till then. Don't miss it now. Don't miss what the gospel is. Don't miss the wonder of why God came into this world. See, Isaiah's not wanting God to manifest Himself necessarily for Isaiah's sake because he goes on and he talks about a witness. And that's the third and last word I want to talk to you about. See, Christmas is about God coming down to this earth as Jesus Christ, the ultimate witness Himself to make God's name known. And the coming of Jesus also does this. It gives us opportunity to witness and make God's name known to this world. But Isaiah said this, after he said, rend the heavens and come down, do it like an earthquake, do it like fire. He said, to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence. Isaiah is saying, look, I don't want you to come back, God, just because of me. It's about you. I want you to come in such a way that makes your name famous. And that's what He's done with Jesus. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ in this world, the Son of God. He came in such a way to make God's name, the position of who God is, to, to, to give us a marker, a memorial, to give us some implication of God's honor, His authority and character. Jesus came in the world in such a way that makes the name of His Father known. Isaiah's talking about adversaries. He said, do it in such a way that your name's known to your adversaries. And I think probably in the way Isaiah's thinking about adversaries, Isaiah's looking at himself and the people of God and they feel like they're in a tight place, they're in trouble, and, and the enemy kind of is an opponent and they're crowding in upon them. And Isaiah's kind of viewing that as though they're doing it to God also. So he's saying, God, rend the heavens and come down in such a way that your adversaries, the one that's causing us all this trouble, clearly know who you are. And you see, one day that's going to happen. See, Jesus came back the first time as the suffering Lamb of God, as the suffering Savior that we read about in those prophecies. When He comes back the next time, He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to rule forever. And there won't be any doubt who He is. And the nations will tremble because they will think, uh-oh, it was real. <laughs> Should have listened. It was real. You see, this Christmas season, I don't want you to be one that's caught in that trap. What better time to receive Christ as Savior than the time of year that we celebrate Him coming into this world? 
Oh, no, I know I'm, today I've not talked a lot about a baby in a manger. We'll do that some, probably next week. But you see, he. we need to move beyond just seeing him as a baby in the manger at Christmas time because he came to be that baby in a manger that grows up and goes to a cross. That through faith in him, our lives can be changed. That through faith in him, this world can be changed. You see, see, Christmas is about a witness. He wanted God to come in such a way that just His presence made the nations to tremble. He wanted God to come down with such irresistible force and give such a divine display of His mighty power that His name would be known to the adversaries and the nations would tremble. In Isaiah's mind, God coming down, reigning the heavens, would be such a powerful witness in this world that all the injustice would have to cease. That's the way Isaiah is viewing it. One day that'll be true. One day that'll be completely fulfilled. Isaiah is referred to by theologians as the evangelical prophet because, you see, he's the one that tells us, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He's the one that tells us the Prince of Peace, a mighty counselor. He's the one that points us to this Savior that, that we need to trust in. His adversaries nailed him to a cross and threw him in a tomb thinking they were done with him. But he took his life back up. His adversaries could not stop him coming into this world. His adversaries could not stop him taking his life back up. His adversaries will not stop him one day when he returns to this world. When he rents the heaven and he comes down the second time, descending from heaven with a shout. And he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives. Today is our first step in this series called Invasion. I simply wanted to increase your faith some by dealing with some of those prophecies to show you why there is such this intense desire of people saying, God, come. And to show you that that's what happened. God fulfilled that prayer. He fulfilled that request by Jesus rending the heavens and coming down. He's the solution that you need in your life. He's the solution that this world needs to every ill, to every injustice, to every problem, especially our sin problem. But the great question today is this, do you know Him? We're talking about invasion. Can I ask you a question? Have you allowed Jesus to invade your life? And if you have, if you can say yes to that, can you comfortably say that you've allowed Him to invade your life to the degree that He would like to invade your life. Remember what one of the definitions was for the word invasion that I read earlier? Interfering with something by entering into it and totally spreading and permeating what's entered. Have you allowed Jesus to so enter your life and spread in your life that He's permeated all of your life. I doubt if many of us, or if any of us, can say yes to that. So maybe let this Christmas time for you as a Christian be a wake-up call that you need to let Him more invade your life because He wants to invade your life and move into the life of others. 
God can either be a stronghold that you run to, or He can be a stronghold against you. The thought of God invading this world can thrill you, or it can cause you to tremble. In John's Gospel, there's a story about a lady that went to a well one day. And she chose to go to the well during the time of day that she thought probably no one else would be there. She especially went during the time of day that none of the other women of the town would be there drawing water. Because this lady's reputation wasn't too good. She had had several husbands and she was living with a guy. And she showed up during the time of day that she did because she did not want to show up and hear the whispers of the other ladies or see them sneer at her. But when she shows up at the well, Jesus shows up. (laughs) And in their conversation, she replied to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming. And Jesus looked at her and He said this, the one that's speaking to you, that's Him. I'm here. And then she ran into the city and told everybody who she had found. That lady at the well found out He was real. I hope you know He's real today. Let's pray. Father, God, I'm sure we have many people here today that's going through a lot of adversity in their life, a lot of problems in their life. Lord, maybe right now their heart's cry would be, God, come down and do something about it. God, change my circumstances. God, change the the frustration that I'm facing in my life. God, come down and move and do something. Lord, I think that heart cry is true of believers and non-believers alike this morning, that we, we need something in our lives. We need some things to change. We need to show up and You manifest Yourself in, in a way like an earthquake or fire that boils water. Father, if there's someone in this place that has never, ever trusted in Your Son, God, I pray right now You'll give them the confidence to do so. The fact that You made all those promises and You kept every one of them. Help them to see that You'll also keep the promise right now if they will admit to You that they're a sinner. And if they'll believe in Jesus, trust in Him, that You'll save them and forgive them of all their sins. Help the rest of us to invite You to, in greater ways, invade our lives. Those who already know You. God, some of us have closed doors in our life and in our heart. We've got places that we don't want You to go. Father, help us to recognize that and be transparent as we enter this Christmas season and and invite You to totally invade our lives. 
So you can use our lives to invite others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we stand and as they uh, do this song, if you need Christ as your Savior, why not come? Why not receive the greatest Christmas gift you could receive? If you already know Him, why not make some commitments today to let Him more invade your life and use your life? Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.